Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the dueling scandals with the press obsessing over the Alvin Bragg hush money case in Manhattan and then Fonnie Willis on the stand in Georgia testifying about her glaring appearance of a conflict of interest between her and her lover boy prosecutor. She was paying $250 an hour and then he took her on romantic getaways and she says she reimbursed him but in cash. Sure you did. Uh, but the anti-Trump media were mostly going to be the pro-Fani media. Let's look at the Friday morning papers. Where did it show up? The New York Times put it on the front page, but down in the bottom right corner, no photos. Under the headline, Sparks Fly as DA in Georgia is grilled on her relationship. That's kind of weird. Makes it sound like The Bachelor, not a legal matter. The lead clearly signaled this is a distraction. Quote, a case charging former President Donald J. Trump and his allies with trying to subvert the 2020 election results in Georgia took a detour on Thursday into the details of the prosecutor's romantic and financial lives, their sleeping arrangements, vacations, and private bank accounts in an unusual and highly contentious hearing. Yes, their headline should have just been distraction. Uh, the Washington Post combined it with the Trump hush money case. There's a big picture of Trump on the top of the paper and then a smaller picture of Fonnie Willis under the headline, trial for Trump, tribulation for DA. Then under that, a subhead, Georgia prosecutor accuses defense of lying in testimony. You notice this? The Democrats get the action verb. Prosecutor, j'accuse the defense. But at least the Post had the D in parentheses right there at the top. Hooray. The other two did not have any mention that she was a Democrat on the front page. But the Post said she made a fiery appearance on the witness stand. That's pretty much what everybody said. The Wall Street Journal had a big color picture at the top of the front page with the headline, Defiant Trump Prosecutor Gives Rebuttal Over Office Romance. See, once again, they're not really giving you the legal issue there in that headline. Maybe they're just trying to get people who aren't so legally inclined to read further. It began, the whole story began with a quote from Willis. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. But, you know, again, it, all of this downplays the reason for why this, they were having this hearing. And that is, it, there's the potential that the judge could disqualify her case. That would be really bad for the media and the Democrats. Here to discuss how television covered it, managing editor Curtis Houck, the pride of Penn State University. Hello, hello. Well, I was going to say, one of the last times I was on, we talked about Fonnie, and now we're talking about Fonnie again. It's a big thing. It's, it, like, it's like saying, we're a liberal yeah. podcast, and we're talking about Trump. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so, uh, or Jorge Bonilla mm -hmm. had last night, um, and he really focused on uh, ABC World News Tonight, David Muir, yes, uh, the very sensationalist newscast over there. Uh, he focused on how the fact that she is the victim here against Donald Trump. Um, there's as as he wrote in his piece, nothing else matters except that orange man 
Bad Orange Man can be compelled to wear a color-coordinated jumpsuit sometime before Election Day 2024. There is no other logical explanation for the shoddy coverage, according to Lafayette, Willis, and Wade. Well, I think that, yeah, when I read the transcript that Jorge did, it's like, that whole thing is like, quote from Fani, quote from Fani, quote from Fani. It's a press release for Fani. Right. In the, in the verbs, <laughs> the, the adjectives that he pointed out, the coverage itself was laden with a per- percentage of superlatives fit for coverage of the red carpet on Oscar night. <laughs> Stunning, dramatic, defiant. And that's exactly what we saw on the Friday morning newscast as well. Good morning, America. With George Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos did his part for the party as he usually does. Yeah. Leading off in the tease about the fiery testimony and Steve Osinsami, the Atlanta-based correspondent for the network, talking about how Fonnie Willis was continuing her fight against lawyers who want her removed from the election interference case. From the moment, from the minute she took the witness stand, Fulton County Prosecutor Fonnie Willis was pushing back against any idea her relationship with the special prosecutor was a means to make money off of her prosecution of former President Trump. Dun, dun, dun. And then at the end of the piece, he says, he's not expected to, the judge isn't expected to make a ruling, but uh, he pointed out the state could appoint a new prosecutor. He concluded with this, quote, it would still be a tall order for Willis to be removed from this election interference case. And, and then they brought on Dan Abrams to say, well, bad day for her personally. I think she may still survive the effort to disqualify. So there you have a mirror, you know, a copy of the coverage we saw from MSNBC yesterday afternoon during a number of the bathroom breaks or the one bathroom break in the afternoon and the coverage after they broke for the day with a number of parade of msnbc legal analysts coming on to say you know there's nothing to see here move along move along you know fonny's fine it doesn't look great yeah and sure maybe she might have come out a little too hot for our liking but she was calm and she's better off to uh is they said on msnbc she's better off now at 5 p.m than she was at 9 a.m which is just preposterous to yeah me. i mean Look, to me, we thought it was interesting that they didn't really get arrive on this story until the hearing actually took place. You know, on Monday night, on her one night a week, Rachel Maddow made this point late in her hour where she said, you know, the New York Times a couple weeks ago, they had was an op-ed saying she needs to recuse. She needs to resign or, or take a leave from this case so the case doesn't get dismissed in its entirety, which is something the judge could do. Uh, you know, Dan Schneider's already warning us it's possible this judge could say no no big deal and move on. We, we, we don't know. All we do know is, yes, this was a bad news day for Fonnie Willis. And what you'll find is, as you suggest, uh, you'll find out who the real Democrats are in the media who are trying to say she's fired and she's fierce and she was fabulous. And I think there's two strategies afoot here. And we saw one of them or both of them on CBS mornings where, you know, Vlad Dutier was talking about dramatic testimony. Gail King talked about fiery testimony. Uh, Nicole Killian said fiery, fierce and defiant. <laughs> she used all the words together. So you have these two things going on. You have the people that are coming out and saying, Fonnie Willis was a queen, slayed. You know, she was fantastic, black girl energy. Mm -hmm. You have that sort of defense. 
But then you also have the other ones, well, three of them. The second one is, who really cares if they're screwing each other and benefiting from each other? We need to get Trump. You see you see some of that. But then the third one is, which is, a, the third one is an admission of guilt, that there is something there. You saw this with Gail King talking, praising Fonnie Willis, not surprisingly, for talking about, very clear, being very clear where she stood, um, that most people stay silent, but she didn't. Robert Costa's reply really was the tell. His reminder was, got to focus on the big story. The focus should still be on Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump still had a really bad day yesterday because he's still going to face trial in the hush money case. So he's still going to be a convicted felon, guys. So don't worry about this. And And that's the real giveaway one that i think folks should pay attention to where they do take the dan abrams approach as well which is yeah this was really unseemly fonnie willis is an idiot but we got to keep the bigger picture here which is what jake tapper did as well on cnn well i mean the line i really dislike the most is where they're sort of like they were asking all sorts of embarrassing, intimate questions on their sex lives. La, la, right. La. It's inappropriate. And Why then, are we talking about this? Well, th- that is the nature of the conflict of interest, that these people were having a romantic relationship. He was taking her to glamorous vacations in places where she couldn't apparently figure out which continent it was. I don't know where Belize is. Okay. Uh, but yeah. it's the notion that... MSNBC or CNN, who spent, you know, thousands of hours on Stormy and Michael Avenatti, did he spank you with a magazine? I mean, right. don't don't tell us, you know, oh, these unseemly sex details. Yeah. It's always, you know, comical. And then I guess there was the comedy shows. We should mention those. Alex Christie had some of that in right. terms of they were not exactly happy with her. Yeah, exactly. Stephen Colbert. Um <laughs> This is this is a great line. He said, "Now I don't know who's telling the truth here yet, but I will say exchanging business cards isn't exactly a meet cute. The movie's not called When Harry Networked with Sally." Now, at one point, Willis had enough and really laid into, and then he played a clip. And um, but Colbert, he points out that yeah, uh, how good <laughs> this is great. I've got one follow up question here. Given that if she's re- you talking indirectly addressing Fani or removed from prosecution it could delay this trial to after the election how good was this sex good enough to risk democracy over because i've never seen sex that good you know what feels really good donald trump going to prison that my friends is what they call a happy ending and klepper kind of did the same thing oh on the daily show yeah on the daily show saying the first thing we need is some new hr training (laughs) yeah and and so with those two guys, you know, uh, I would probably put Colbert, Klepper, and like in the other Daily Show crew, and Seth Meyers up there in terms of the most, and maybe Kimmel slightly below that in terms of the most virulently partisan, just completely unhinged, deranged, you know, uh, partisans. And the fact that they were the most strident last night in pointing out the the problems with this case also is a dead giveaway that this spin put out by MSNBC and the like that Fonny had a great day yesterday, like mm. Lisa Rubin on MSNBC, is a complete crock. Yeah, and and I guess this is what you're looking for. Is, and I think Alex's headline was, you idiots! Um, right. <laughs> you know, I guess that was Colbert, but the... Uh, you oh, uh, Daily Show. Okay, that was the Desi, Daily Show. Desi. Oh, uh, okay. 
So at least somebody was saying, you know, you made a mistake. You know, you put your sex ahead of democracy. Um, you know, this is this is the way that they talk is Trump equals dictatorship. And anything you do that helps Trump ends democracy. Um, and I mean, obviously, this is what the audiences of these shows expect. But it, not because it's wrong. And, and, and their argument is they're mad because of what this case does to Trump. Not that a public servant for a major U.S. city is running around screwing a co-worker uh so much so that it puts cases in jeopardy here um yeah the, Trump, sec, the sex isn't really the issue the, the really uh the issue is the is the financial relationship right and this was the clinton thing you know that goes back to the clinton years they're like oh you guys are just want to talk about sex and it's like no it was more than that and it was about it was again about a workplace in part sometimes these things are not just about the legal matters this was a legal hearing so that that's i mean that's kind of what makes it newsworthy because of the potential it has to derail this case against trump and the other georgia officials that they and indicted the tell too is the fact that they carried this wall to wall on the cables yesterday you know that that showed that they think this is pretty serious too. Even if they know that oh, this is also going to be good TV, it's it's it is a big deal. Yeah, I think that uh, in this case, you know, they must have had some inkling like, "Well, we want to let her talk. She's going to be fiery and fierce, and it's going to help her and us to put this on live." And once again, Curtis, nobody said. Well, our reputation as a news organization, we ha we can't just put right. on these people live to 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 to, to say lies to people. <laughs> right. You know, no, there's no no fact checking well, in real of course, time. It's the same sort of thing. Like you know, Stacey Abrams is allowed on television because you know she's really only lying, making false claims about the Georgia gubernatorial election being stolen, not the president of the United States. It's that excuse. It's like. Well, well, it's just the DA and a prosecutor lying. They're not the president of the United States. So lying, you know, them is a little bit different. It was ironic that he made the statement and then he wasn't on the rest of the day on MSNBC. Chuck Rosenberg in during one of the first, the lunch break. So this is before Fonnie Willis when it was just Nathan Wade. He was saying he referred to some sort of plaque that he had in his office when he was... Uh, in the Justice Department, some like, you know, noble quote about from somebody about the importance of and how much of a higher burden of ethics government officials should have. Yeah. And and, ta and, and this is a guy who is right there with all the Trump nonsense and the Trump Russia conclusion years ago. He'd be on NBC proper all the time. But here, you know, he's more of an old school guy coming out and saying, this is, you know, he didn't try to explain it away. He kind of very George Will-esque kind of indirectly made his feelings known. But yet then you bring these other yahoos on and like the one that we were asked about on Newsmax today where the one legal analyst just says, well, this is what black people do. Well, and that's the other part of this that's that's unseemly. And that is, and, and Fonnie Willis started with this when she went to the black church is just implying that anybody who asks questions of me, who challenges me, it must be because they're racist and sexist. Not, you know, which talk about a distraction from what they're calling a distraction. Uh, what I'm not seeing, Curtis, is a lot of these videos of her explicitly saying before she was elected, well, I'm sure not going to have sex with coworkers. I can promise you that. Right. They're not going to dig into that. 
you know, incriminating video. It's just a lot of, you know, the way this is being framed on the networks is a lot of he said, she said, and they're playing funny soundbites of her getting upset, yelling at Merchant, uh, Ashley Merchant, the Ro Mike Roman's uh, uh, a lawyer, you know, well, that represents the waving the papers, mm -hmm. you know, she's clearly playing for sound bites and sure enough, the media were more than happy to eat out of her hand. Well, the, the, the fiery parts that she was serving up, they're not playing the parts where Nathan Wade admitted to having sexual relations outside of his marriage when he'd previously said in his divorce filings that he hadn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, why don't we sound bites? Why don't they just focus on right the the actual legal matters at hand, or in this case, yes, also sort of the moral matters at hand? Um, she certainly knew he was married. He obviously knew he was married. Well, he claimed, yeah, we're just oh, I didn't want to, we didn't want to divorce until my youngest graduated, but we've basically been not a thing since 2015. And you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> all right, buddy, all right. Well, but so this is. This is something that we don't know how it's going to turn out, but we certainly, this is another one of those displays of how they want all of these Trump legal cases to come to a, what, what Colbert called it, a happy ending. They're focused on the happy ending, and they're focused right. on every day being a bad news day for Trump. So you have to try to somehow make all of this still a bad news day for Trump. Yeah, lemons out of lemonade. That's what they're they're trying to do here. Um that's why I think on MSNBC, at least I had at my desk yesterday, you saw them very often in the breaks make sure to pivot back to the hush money trial or talk about something else Trump related that makes them happier. Um, yeah. And we'll remember that when they when Bragg first indicted, they were all sort of saying. Well, this isn't the strongest one. But it's great. Oh, my gosh. Oh! And then they'd say. They'd often say Jack Smith on January 6th, but they would also say that the, the that the Georgia case was a better case than the Alvin Bragg case, and that's not right. what, now what are they going to do? Right, but I would just caution folks. I mean, a couple things. One, you know, Jessica Levinson on C, uh, in CBS Mornings had it correct where she said that regardless of what happens, this is going to pollute, cloud the mind of the public. She said this entire hearing and all the reasons why we're here have almost certainly shaken the public's confidence in this particular trial. And this was a great day for Donald Trump in a courtroom that he never appeared in. It's a gift that he couldn't have even asked for. And so, especially the co-defendants who haven't pleaded guilty yet, you have to be like, whew, okay. Um, well, Trump said he was going to show up. So they at least they they spared that circus, right? That would have that would have been really something else. I mean, he was in. I guess he was choosing to be up in New York instead. He chose to be in New York instead, which in hindsight might was kind of he well, didn't have to be there in New York. Maybe he should have been down in Fulton County um, if you're his people. But so you see that. But I would also so if the judge allows Fani to go forward, remember that that this really clouds the and very least really harms the credibility of this case you know and further it's going to make it way more difficult for Fani to get a an impartial jury jury selection for that's going to be well because it, it, it's, it's going to be something especially because of all this stuff now well i think that you know part of the conservative concern all along here is so that when you 
take these on in in deep blue counties. You're going to get juries that are stuffed with Democrats. Right. Um, uh, you know, certainly in Manhattan, certainly in D.C. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the media gets upset because they want you to take all of these as epically serious. And one of the ways they do that is by constantly downplaying, as Rich Noyce has shown, that these prosecutors are elected Democrats. Jack Smith's yeah. not an elected Democrat, but he's appointed by the attorney general. Yeah, and it's about over nine in ten stories, nine yeah, ninety over ninety percent of the time, roughly, where party label is not mentioned in Rich's studies. And then the the last of se- uh, second point and last point I would make on this is just to caution folks, uh, conservatives, MAGA types, if Judge McAfee does remove Fani and Nathan Wade from the case, that does not automatically mean that this case is going away. Right. It's possible. It, it's it's that- possible, but I would just caution folks, you know, just be prepared for the idea that this case still goes forward. Uh, and you say, how could they do this? Well, they would just find a new team of prosecutors to do this. So just, you know, hold on a second. I think that still has the potential to cause a delay. And remember that the, oh, at least a delay. the left always wants all of these things to happen before the election. Um, and, you know, this is one of the reasons why people say they don't, these prosecutions feel political because when you're really energetically trying to make sure they happen before Election Day, uh, that sort of betrays yeah. where you're going. All right. Well, we're going to keep monitoring this. You know, will Fonnie Willis be uh, disqualified? And if she maybe she'll still be able well, to run for governor. And the and P.S. on this, I think if Essa, somebody tweeted this yesterday, Bobby Burke over at Outkick if we had a real comedy profession, the the joke the jokes last night would have been they would have actually tried to have fun with this. Right. And if we actually had a serious Saturday Night Live that went after all sides, mm-hmm. this would be they would have a field day with this story, this cold open, this courtroom. Uh, well, thing remember, the, but they're not. The, okay. It'll pull at least a phonic thing. Well, they'll cover it. Right. But they'll make it. You know, that's seem a, like over the top because white judge, white prosecutor, old male, white lawyers going after the black woman. That's exactly where I was going. I was like, yes, even with the Stefanic questioning, they they were like, no, 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 the uh, the tolerance of campus anti-Semitism that's not worth mocking. It's the mocking the mega. So I mean that yes, that that is the way that these things turn out. All right, well, thanks for staying on this, Curtis. Mm-hmm. All right, there's a a couple of other notes I would like to add. Uh, We talked about how Tucker Carlson did an interview with Vladimir Putin, and I basically was making this point that a pile of liberal media people have interviewed Vladimir Putin. Uh, Chris Wallace, when he was with Fox, interviewed Vladimir Putin and said he did a way better job than Tucker Carlson did. Um, I think some of the things now that we've seen over the last day or two from Tucker Carlson, um, suggest he's more in the category of the useful idiot Chris Wallace was talking about. I, I could not believe this whole idea of look at the Moscow subway system. It's awesome. Like that somehow is a testament to Putin. This is something that uh, you expect from a liberal network. I think Stephanie Gosk did a story like this about Moscow, you know, and uh then there was also this, this was the the worst one for me. Oh, these terrific Russian supermarkets. Like, 
Like they have a better economy than the United States or better supermarkets. Yeah. We here in the D.C. area, we're like, you've never been to Wegmans? You know, here in Herndon, I was at the H Mart uh, just marveling over all the different things you can buy. We have awesome supermarkets in the United States. Um, you know, one of our focuses here at Newsbusters is to say, you know, we don't like it when the news media come off as aggressively anti-American. That might count for trying to talk down our supermarkets. Our supermarkets are fun. I'm a bit of a supermarket junkie. Like I do most of the grocery shopping in my house because I like it and because I save money when I do it. I'm Mr. Uh, I'm, I bought it because it's on sale. Uh, then my creator syndicate column today, uh, this kind of obsessed me yesterday. They had a panel of liberal TV journalists appearing for the News Literacy Project. If you've never heard of that, this is another one of those sort of liberal media adjuncts like PolitiFact. Um, so they had this panel at the Liberal Politics and Prose Bookstore in D.C. That's where many liberal journalists go to have their, their little book-selling events that show up on C-SPAN. Uh, NPR media reporter David Fulkenflick was the moderator of this event yesterday. And he asked for questions from the audience, so to speak, on Twitter. So I said, okay, I'm going to try to do this. How do I do this? in a way that comes across as a reasonable question and that doesn't sort of just dismiss everyone on this panel. So my question was, will you do anything to reassure Republicans that you are seeking their trust? For example, by covering and not burying Biden's scandals. I was a little surprised that somewhere in there, Falkenflick started to tiptoe into my question but this is how it sort of ended up. It was nothing like what I was trying to ask. It's like he couldn't actually bring himself to represent any viewpoint diversity. We can't have any conservative inclusion. Listen to this. There is that question. And on the flip side, there's the question, Jeff Bennett. Uh, you know, I get posed uh, and had it posed to me on Twitter this morning as I was soliciting questions. Mm -hmm. They say, well, given that atmosphere, given the fire hosing and given the need to respond at the same time for those who are uh, sympathetic to those speaking, for conservative viewers in particular, for pro-Trump voters especially, you know, we feel trust has been frayed or broken mm. with mainstream media and you see it in all kinds of polls. How do you at once account for um, this age in which there's a fire hosing and sometimes that fire hose is filled with things that, that are intentionally misleading and distorted yeah uh and the need to be able to build bridges so people are acting you are broadcasting mm -hmm. you are reaching a broad audience and you are able to inform them and allow, allow them to make the decisions they want but with you know information that's grounded in truth so i sort of transcribed it sent it uh, put it on twitter and said why can't any of you acknowledge that a conservative point for example that the hunter biden laptop is real was once called intentionally misleading and distorted. And then suddenly the mainstream media found it to be real in 2022. Who was fire hosing on that subject? Uh, Folk and Flick responded. He said, yeah, I asked the cue in a different way. Yeah, no kidding. Then he said, that said, I would note in response to laptop questions, I believe the material presented on it is real. 
The primary claims from that time about what it proved, quote unquote, about Joe Biden, however, have not three plus years later been substantiated. Really? I had to respond to that, tweeting back, this is why no one trusts, quote unquote, mainstream media and why they laugh at you when you say you're fact-based. The laptop shows Biden lied when he said he never discussed business with his son. He met with his son's clients at restaurants. He was on a pile of phone calls with his son's clients. The idea that he was not involved in Hunter Biden's buckraking simply is false. If you're fact-based, you're going to say, wait a minute, Joe Biden was involved. Uh, we should add this on the uh, Biden scandal point. Uh, we are updating any Newsbusters posts we had with an FBI informant alleging that Joe and Hunter Biden took $5 million in bribes each and adding the news that the special prosecutor, Mr. Weiss, indicted this FBI informant and saying he made this claim up. Now, we can notice news that Democrats like, but Democrat media outlets tend to only notice news that Democrats like. So this is going to get a happy story on the PBS NewsHour. You know, they, and they ran around claiming this uh, indictment just devastates the Republican argument against Biden when it does no such thing. If we lived in a world where we had a truly nonpartisan media, they would underline the Biden family clearly were running an influence-peddling, money-making scheme, and millions of dollars were distributed all over the Biden family. Uncles, sons and daughters, granddaughters, people, you know, wives, Bo Biden's wife or widow. Um, the money went all over the place. But they're still saying, well, you can't prove Joe benefited or Joe got money. That's not the whole point. You can enrich everyone else in your family and still look corrupt. But their whole line here is we can't really cover Biden scandals because somehow that makes Trump more normal. That's been the whole problem all along is that they don't want to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop or Hunter Biden in general. They don't want to get into the details of any of that, and they run around using these phrases like there's no evidence against Joe, which is simply just not true. And the idea that you people are going to try to say, we're the fact checkers, we're the fact-based journalists, it just gets offensive after a while. The, the funniest phrase that was in all these this discussion yesterday was about how they have robust conversations in the newsroom about how to cover things. Well, anybody who watches the news knows what those robust conversations end up in uh, is really one-sided pro-Democrat news. And the debate they're having, I think, is over how Democrat can they be. Somebody wants it to be a little bit more nonpartisan and everybody else pushes back. And what we get is a Democrat Party product. If you want to see that, you want to see the videos, you want to read the transcripts, that's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.